This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. AJ O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll come at you live from Provo. Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Vitaly Zaidman. Yeah, hello from Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. I've always wanted to travel to Israel. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, so uh, I'm working uh, in a software solutions uh, company. I'm uh, responsible for two complex uh, projects. And um, yeah, here and there we like uh, research technologies and uh, open new projects all the time. So uh, we really try to be, you know, always cut up with the new technologies in the market. Awesome. Well, we brought you on today to talk about testing JavaScript in 2018, which I thought was interesting. It's it's one of those things that I don't think it moves as quickly necessarily as some of the other technologies in JavaScript, but we definitely do get new stuff periodically. And so I thought it'd be interesting to just dive in and talk about, okay, how do we test JavaScript now? Okay, like with every problem you have and everything you try to solve, it really depends on your software, right? So I start my article with too long, didn't read, just use Jest and just use Descafe and just use Selenium, something that I didn't write. But if you want to, you know, nobody got fired by choosing IBM. That's what uh, people said uh, like 10 years ago. So now no, nobody got fired by, fired by choosing Selenium. Because Selenium is the old uh, player in the market, and uh, that's what people usually choose. I think uh, Jest really closed the deal in uh, just uh, unit testing. Lately, I, uh, I just see people using just Jest, don't even consider other stuff. So yeah, that's what I see in the market. So Jest is a testing system that came out of uh, Facebook, if I remember right, and is generally popular among React developers, though I have seen Vue and Angular folks uh, talking about it as well. Yeah, so actually just uh, developed out of uh, Jasmine. So uh, it's just, uh, we can call it an improvement of Jasmine. So it can be applied on Angular, but uh, actually in my company, we stopped using Angular a little. Like uh, we don't, we do a lot of projects, but we really focus on uh, react lately so we usually don't have this problem right why just though why not uh, jasmine or mocha or some of these other systems i think the open source community got to this point where people really developed uh, a certain style of how uh, testing should look like and i think just is just the the best implementation of uh, what is considered best practice nowadays, I'd say. Uh, there are different options that can uh, they can be better, but I don't know. Just just 
even even if you find something that is better in uh, in terms of what your software needs, still just has this huge community and uh, really really good uh, support and. It always gets updated and it always gets new features. And I, I think, uh, I think even if you find something that uh, that's better, you probably should still use Jest. Joe, I'm curious. Um, you were kind of our first guest to really go deeply on testing. Mm-hmm. So, what, what are you using for testing these days? Are you using Jest or use uh, using something else? You know, so I primarily do Angular. Primarily, right? And so in Angular, there is this de facto standard of using um, uh, Jasmine and Karma and not Jess. And that's not necessarily a matter of, well, this is right better, but the, it is the way that things are set up. And so there is a push recently to start seeing Jest more often inside of Angular projects. And it does work with Angular projects. Um, in fact, the people that we had on a while ago, Jesse Sanders from Rebug, they're they either published or are publishing this CLI add-in, so that you can from the CLI just say uh, ng add Jest, and it will swap out your Karma and Jasmine for Jest. It'll just kind of like, bam, do it for you, make it easy to pick Jest over Karma instead of Karma or Jasmine, and give you that option. So there is sort of a problem that right now we only have. Um, this de facto choice and anything else is actually hard. Like I went through the process of getting just to work and it wasn't horrid, but it wasn't easy either. It was enough effort that it just, unless you were really into Jest and really into the features of Jest, it wasn't really necessarily worth it. But like a lot of things in life, oftentimes it's better to, it's it e- it's easier on you when you just, I, I'm using them because they're easy to use. And then I start getting into the features that, make it really valuable, right? So I'm just going to, I just want to write plain unit tests and I don't care about all the extra features of Jest. And then as time goes by, then I start using some of the really cool features of Jest like snapshot and stuff. So that's what we'll, so I think right now, at least in the Angular community, it's not necessarily used as heavily, but I've been impressed with what I've seen with Jest, but I also haven't used it a ton. But I, it is interesting that you bring that up. Well, how many years ago was that? Five, six years ago that I was on talking about mm-hmm. JavaScript testing, right? And like you said, in some ways, things haven't changed a ton, right? Like Jasmine was around then, it's still around now. Um, Sign-on is still probably the best or darn close to the best mocking library, even if it isn't the most heavily used, right? These tools are still classics that have been around since then. Karma was developed right at that time or shortly after. And that's still a really popular one, but we're finally seeing some really competitive alternatives, even though a bunch of alternatives have come and gone. Mocha uh, has become fairly popular, but we got Jest, we got Cypress IO, which is making a lot of waves because of how effective and quick and easy it is. And I think their business model makes a big difference there. It is interesting how things, and it hasn't changed as radically as other, other things have changed, right? Like we're not using any of the frameworks that we were using six years ago. And let's run a legacy project. That was a long answer to your question, Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really like in end-to-end uh, testing using uh, both Selenium and uh, TestCafe or Cypress IO. I think this combination is very important for big projects like ours. 
I've also heard great things about Cypress. Unfortunately, um, that's not what we're using at work. We're using actually something called Intern um, via some consultants. Really? Are you not a fan of what you've been, what you've found? I'm I'm not, unfortunately. Uh, There's been a lot of issues with it. So I hate to say it, but I'm not sure I would recommend that to people. I would definitely go with Cypress. Actually, you know, when I wrote article that got really really popular like now if you search in google you will see my article uh, javascript testing of uh, 2018 so in one of the comments someone asked me why didn't i include intern there and i told him that i don't really see how it develops you you know i i saw that they try to do everything like they try to cover everything every single thing that you could possibly think about in tests That's a, that's another problem. Like I almost feel like I mean that's kind of the philosophy of the JavaScript ecosystem is like do one thing and yeah. The thing is, is that if you want to cover so much, then you should probably have a really huge community, right? Be- because otherwise, uh, problems are not necessarily like like I I, I never open the bug on them, right? But uh, if I look for something in Google, for example. There's not a lot of things about intern in, uh, I don't know, in Stack Overflow and stuff. So, I don't know, it, it looks like a really cool project, but it's really, really hard to compete with the tools that are now in the consensus, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I read your article uh, a while ago, being a big fan of testing. It came up on my feed and I just read it naturally. I know in there you talk about Test Cafe being your pick of the litter for UI tests, but uh, let's let's talk about that for a minute. Why do you pick Test Cafe over Cypress? And two, how familiar are you with Cypress to really like? Have you done enough with it that you feel like you can give them a two, a, a fairly even comparison? And then what about uh, Protractor and and Selenium? I mean, I personally have used Selenium, but I like Protractor much better as a wrapper around Selenium myself. Yeah, so first of all, Cypress and Tescafe are competing head-to-head, right? So they're doing the same thing. We can say, yeah, they're doing the same thing, okay? They try to inject JavaScript. Okay, they not try to. They actually inject JavaScript into your browser, and they run your application, and they test it, right? Um, I like in Tescafe that it's important in different browsers, first of all. So you can run a sanity test uh, on Firefox as well as on Chrome. It's really helpful. Also, I really like how things get debugged. Actually, I, I tried both for a short time. And then when I choose Tescafe, I just stick with Tescafe. So I really should give uh, Cypress... Uh, Okay, also because things developed over two years, right? So I really need to try Cypress again. But at the time, I uh, thought that Descafe is much better. For my uh, next uh, JavaScript testing article, I will definitely consider changing uh, my advice to people to Cypress. One other thing I saw in the article is that you use sign-on for stubs. And I'm pretty sure that Jest has some built-in mocks and stubs. Yeah, that's right. But uh, sign-on, like, again, it's something that, first of all, I didn't use it. Like, I I just showed this tool. I I don't think that necessarily people should use it. But at the time, again, two years ago, I decided on going with the... 
with the Sinon indeed, it was a little stronger. It, it had more strengths than Jest. It had more features, it worked better, less bugs. It was just better in many aspects because this tool was uh, developed by the community for a long time. And uh, at the time, just uh, added their mocks and doubles and what Sinon does. It wasn't as good as uh, Sinon. But uh, I have to revisit this as well, I think. But I believe still Sinon is better. Like it's all focused on the, doing this one thing. Jumping back to the end or to the end-to-end testing really quick, can you talk about Puppeteer a little bit? Because to me, that looks really promising. Yeah, Puppeteer is very promising. It's not just promising. It's also really, really good. Like, I mean, it's uh, not something with a potential that was not uh, <laughs> uh, discovered, right? I, I know uh, when the team that I'm on, when we were looking at it, it didn't support you know you couldn't use anything besides chrome with that so that's why we decided not to go that route yes puppeteer is developed by google and yep. it's a tool uh, for chrome that's one of the reasons why you don't want to write all your tests in puppeteer necessarily yeah. because uh, if you want to suddenly test in other browsers it will be really hard to do so I think that's that, that's something I'd like to talk a little bit about and ask not only you, uh, Vitaly, but also the rest of the panel. Five, six, seven years ago, 10 years ago especially, it was so important when doing any JavaScript testing of all of any kind. Like that was the reason jQuery became as big as it was is because the browsers were so different that you had no idea if you made something work in one browser, if it worked mm-hmm. in the other. And I can remember those days. All right, we yeah. have got this. It's working okay in IE. Now let's go and open up Mozilla and see if that's if it's going to work in there. And then, you know, Netscape. Uh-oh, we've got three tables nested. So Netscape folds up on us and cries for mercy. <laughs> but... Um, that was, you know, so 10 years ago and then seven, eight years ago, it was, we still did a lot when we started with our automated testing. Karma, one of its big, greatest, greatest points was the fact that it would launch and run your tests in multiple browsers. You could just say, I want it in Chrome and I want it in Firefox and, in, you know, Canary, you could specify the versions. And that's one of the great things about uh, Karma and why it became so popular outside of just the Angular realm, even though it was kind of developed as part of the Angular project. But here we are in 2018. Is multiple browser testing as important as it was in, you know, four or five, six years ago? And is it, and if it was not as important as a close or not anywhere near as important? Well, I think the fact that uh, continuous integration got developed so much, this fact alone uh, makes it really, really important to run uh, automatic tests on all browsers in uh, some kind of, uh, you know, cloud if you support Internet Explorer 11, you know, the latest version, which is a big requirement in the market, like a lot of companies that we work with require us to support in the latest Internet Explorer, then you, you must test it. it it's, it's unbelievable. This browser is so bad. <laughs> I, mean, I think it depends on so many things. Like if your application is more JavaScript heavy, potentially it's not as important if you're using a lot of like newer CSS features um, that could potentially cause problems in other browsers. I, I guess as a, I see a lot more uh, issues as far as CSS than I do JavaScript. 
like with people using TypeScript and Babel. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, I would totally agree as well. Yeah. So, so th that's what I'm saying. That uh, if you don't support Internet Explorer, then I think uh, it's pro it's much less important. If you do support it, then automatic testing is really important on Internet Explorer. And honestly, I almost think Safari is kind of the new Internet Explorer edge. I see a lot more issues <laughs> in Safari than I do in those. Yeah, I think I think part of it comes down to knowing your audience, right? So if you're working in an industry or a place where they're still using old versions of Internet Explorer, then yeah, you know, then then we talk about whether or not we can support it. But for the most part, the rest of it's just, yeah, you know, what's the compatibility? And even then, you know, build tools like Webpack and things like that, they're pretty good about when when you take your TypeScript or this or that, um, you know, basically getting it down to the sort of common denominator between these so that you're not suffering for having used one or the other browser. Yeah, there's issues with the security usually, issues with uh, things like the... I don't know, Firefox, uh, I think they have this feature of uh, tracking uh, protection or something, right? It, uh, it sometimes breaks things. And uh, yeah, there, there's certain things that are still different, but it's much better than five years ago, definitely. No doubt. So under what condition, you talked about specifically IE 11. If you're doing IE 11, absolutely test. Now, is that JavaScript? Would you test your JavaScript in IE 11 if you were supporting IE 11? Or would you mostly just be worried about your CSS? And as an extension to that, if you were worried mostly about just JavaScript, let's talk about just JavaScript, would you test in any other browser or just one default browser? I think if your uh, software is very graphics-oriented, you have to test it in all uh, browsers, for sure. If your software is not very graphics, like not very UI-intensive, uh, then uh, you can probably use something like Puppeteer, you can probably use something like Cypress and just ignore the other browsers. That's my opinion. Unless you work with Internet Explorer. If you work with Internet Explorer, you must test even a simple forms uh, site. I would appreciate it if you did test in Safari because occasionally I use Safari and I like it when the websites work and when they don't, it's kind of disappointing, but I do use Chrome after that. Well, I think if you use Safari, you're getting, you're reaping the what you sow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say though that um, some of the things that I wind up, so I use, I even use Chrome on my iPhone, right? But I, I do too. <laughs> the thing because you're not a crazy person about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that I tend to, how do I put it? So sometimes I open something from like Siri or something, and in that case, it'll open it in Safari. And so sometimes I wind up in Safari without actually meaning to wind up in Safari, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just kind of an right. interesting, you know, place that I wind up in with a lot of this stuff. And so if, if it works in Safari, and yeah, I think, I think what it really comes down to for me is not necessarily Safari on my Mac, because I never use that. It's Safari on my phone. So what are the browser options on my phone and, and how is that going to affect it? I do like the attitude of Apple in this whole scenario, which is basically if it doesn't work in Safari, it's your problem, not ours. Yeah, F you, I'm opening it in Safari anyway. Yeah. 
No, I just recalled a funny story where we had a, a serious bug in Internet Explorer. So we advised our users who come with Internet Explorer to move to Chrome. And then uh, Microsoft contacted us and they asked us what's the problem. And we told them and yeah, that's it. Then we, it took some months for us to fix it. And, uh, then we removed the warning. I think it's also, by the way, I think it's a really nice thing to do when to put a warning for your users that the browser is not supported. Because right. sometimes you open like you open a site with Safari and you have to discover for yourself. Like uh, it's really annoying. I hear that. If only there were a suite of standards that people could adhere to, and then things would work. Hmm. You know what the problem is? Is that there's too many standards. And so what we need to do is create a new standard that unifies all the other standards. And that's what I really love about... Uh, you have to link the XC something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, huh? that XKCD cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's also an argument to use progressive enhancement with your styles. So. Have you heard of brutalist web design? <laughs> that's I a like serious question. I've never heard of this. This sounds seriously awesome. It's some guy's got this site. It's I think it's called Brutalist Web Design. Let me I, I'll type it into Google and then it'll correct me for what the actual site is. Brutalist hyphen web dot design. And uh, basically the guy says just use standard stuff and stop being so custom and stop trying to look at the web as some sort of like crazy platform and if your site is a website that can reasonably be scrolled through just don't add weird stuff to it so people can get the only important thing on your site which is the content this is so funny because he says right like right here i'm reading this i just i had to go and open this up a website is not an application or a video game but wait a second i mostly build applications and occasionally a couple a couple of times i've built video games on websites so well there, there's right a, there that's not right I mean, it really there's depends. a difference like, it, it it totally depends because i can see your point aj but or or the guy's point but i mean some people yeah, like, like I, I mean, I'm not at Warner Brothers anymore, but, you know, to them, their design is everything. Like, their design right. is their functionality, so it's what... Well, I like it when are. people get out here and say things like that, because if it wasn't for crazy people, the rest of us wouldn't be sane. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's, here's the point to take away from it, though, because it, there's a distinction between a website and a web application, Yes, yes. And there's a lot of websites that run up your CPU and use lots of memory and like spam your computer with intensiveness when really the purpose of it is actually just to read an article. It's like there's one of those news sites where it had like 120 JavaScript links that needed to load before it would show you the page. Yeah. I strongly disagree. I think the world became much more visual and people get like all these weird and cool sites. I think it's, I, I strongly disagree. I think it all comes down to trade-offs. When my uh, custom, when a customer asks us to do something crazy, like, you know, this scroll inside a scroll that moves by itself, you know, all kinds of <laughs> crazy stuff. We just explain him that uh, if he decides to go this road, 
we will have bugs and uh, we will probably work a lot of time on making it uh, work on all the platforms and uh, it will cost you more money. So make your decisions, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. How much money do you want to pay? <laughs> but Well, yeah, but to, back to this, that, on that point of like content, right? A lot of sites, the sites that are centralized around content are heading towards, our, you know, they, they are being forced to move back to these simplistic designs for all these reasons. And the ones that don't like your example, AJ of a, of a new site that has a gazillion links, right? Like they don't see the traffic. look at medium and Wikipedia, for example, right now medium is far heavier than Wikipedia, but we got, we've gone away from everybody having their own or we're moving away from everybody having their own WordPress blog. Right. And WordPress having, you know, 65 different apps and it loads, you know, crazy slow to medium, which is clean and simple. It still throws some ads in. Of course, they were still a business, but it still throws some ads in. But the the number of places where the content is just text is getting fewer and fewer. Like shopping context is or the content is a lot of times images and the design or I was just like helping a buddy with his landscaping website, which is, it's just a website, right? It's not a web app. But in that case, because he's selling landscaping, the design is critical, right? If he went with a minimalist, brutalist design, it would be a huge mistake for him. People would get there and think, what in the heck? Well, I would, I would say that like the medium is very minimal. Medium doesn't feel like an application, I guess, unless you're signed in and you're right. creating a post. Like, it's very, very, like, I would say that Medium is, in some ways, I mean, I have to read the description better on this Brutalist site to know for sure, but I would say that Medium is Brutalist web design. Like, they only added a few style things here and there. There's no whiz-bang. I mean, like, it is unfortunate that sign-in looks like a sentence rather than, like, a button, but, you know, for the most part, what Medium provides is text, and they don't and, and like having images is there's nothing wrong with having images on a website. It's the idea of, are you treating it like a website that should be able to load and deliver to the user and they should be able to experience it quickly and effortlessly, or is it an application that they're going to be interacting with and that needs various components? This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. And that's why we should be using Cypress instead of Protractor. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing how far off... Off the topic we <laughs> I was kind of thinking the same thing. <laughs> but it was actually pretty pretty interesting. Right? These are my favorite conversations to have, especially when AJ is is on uh, AJ and I are on together. Yeah. I really wanted to talk a moment if we 
if we talk about Medium, I really wanted to talk about how, how my article got so popular because I really didn't expect Good it. Point. That's a, that's a very interesting thing, you know, because what happened was that I was researching uh, testing for my company. Um, you know, we wanted to implement one of the testing tools or several testing tools, and I was researching it. And then I decided then instead of uh, creating like a presentation and like a word document, I will write a post about it in a Medium to get feedback from the community as well. And it turned out a really, really good decision because uh, since then I got so much comments and uh, I really got a lot of, uh, I really got a lot of uh, this experience. I really advise people to, if you solve a hard problem, just write about it in Medium. Just, just you know, just listen to the community, what they have to say about it. That's my advice for everybody. Yeah, you put a ton of time and energy and resources into this, right? And one of the coolest things is just at the end of the article, there's like this list of links to other articles that's so long. Seriously, did you actually go through and look at all of, read all of these articles in your research? Yes, my work was more uh, journalistic work than anything else. I was just, you know, just looking at uh, what's the most permanent tools, what's the community about. And I was just reading through a lot of comments and through a lot of uh, feedbacks from people. And uh, that's what I mainly did. Like, I tested the, the tools myself also. But... Uh, at the first, it was mainly journalistic research. So one thing. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. Let's just talk about then your authoring process because again, that was interesting. You went through. You did a really cool TLDR at the very beginning, and you wrote this long article. You broke it down into sections, right, and then put the links down at the end. What made you decide to write something so, one so long? I mean, it tells you how long. Twenty-two minute read. That's a pretty long read for medium, right? And what made you think that even if you put this up, that anybody would bother spending 22 minutes reading your article? Well, I didn't write it for anybody. I wrote it for my company and we made everybody read it. So <laughs> <laughs> they had to, captive audience. I they like had it. to read it, yeah. Uh -huh. So, uh, yeah, so it wasn't format, a problem. All right, like writing it and spending so much time. I guess, you know, you felt like it was. It was sort of part of your job at the time anyway, right? To put this all together. Yes, but I'm really, I really like it. I really like writing in general. Like, uh, I really like reading and writing. And uh, the moment I found how to do it in the, like within my job, it was amazing for me. Like, uh, it was a really, really good experience to do it. And uh, also, I think I'm kind of talented. It, it just, I, ju I just do it really fast. I just try it really fast. So I felt like I, uh, and I really wanted to express myself, I'd say. So, uh, yeah. Very cool. Did you do a lot of, use a lot of like editing and review and stuff? Or was it just pretty much you? No, I wrote it. No, I did it by myself and uh, asked my friends to comment on it and they helped me a lot. Actually, mm -hmm. the first version of uh, this article is uh, 
It's not like the second version. The first version is uh, less. It was written uh, a little worse. And also it had serious mistakes in terms of JavaScript testing that I later found out through comments from people and through my own experience. And uh, that's one, one of the reasons why I wrote it. I'm not afraid to make mistakes, you know. Good attitude. Because if I... If I would write it for my company in a Word document, no one would ever see it. And this way you get feedback. One thing I'm curious about with all of the things that you put in here, I know some people, they look at testing, especially in JavaScript, and especially, especially if their primary development language is some other language and they're only using JavaScript on the front end. They look at this and they're like, there is so much here. And they kind of get uh, overwhelmed as far as how to get started. Is there a place that you recommend people start? I mean, is it just with your number one, which is, um, you know, your your testing structure and your assertion functions? Or is there another way to kind of um, ease into this so that you're only tackling one bite-sized thing at a time? No, I recommend people actually read this article or do their own research and uh, choose the tools that looks for them that are the most suitable for them for at least for the information that they have and just uh, start writing the moment they choose something because uh, i think all the like i think today we choose between good tools and better tools that that's my opinion like selenium is great and cypress is great and Tescafe is great and jest is great and jasmine is great you can write uh, really really good tests with all of them so, uh, yeah, just read this article, make a decision, and just start writing code. Yeah, but would you recommend, for example, you have just writing assertions, and then you've got, you know, setting up the display and watch test results, and then adding, uh, generating and comparing snapshots. It seems like somebody could just start out with writing basic unit tests, and then they can move into, okay, you know, let, let's automatically generate display and watch the test results and then move from there into snapshotting and then learn how to do mocks and st spies and stubs, which is kind of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven that you have right here on your uh, test tool types in your yeah, article. Actually an amazing uh, idea for my next uh, article to write like, to write like uh, something like uh, something of uh, the things that you definitely need to choose between because it's like the paradox of choice, right? You have so many options in this article that you're like, you just, you prefer not to test your application anymore. You know? Yeah. Well, the other so, thing yeah. is, is I look at this and some of these, like writing basic unit tests is a pretty easy way to get started. And then from there, it's okay. Now, what what was the other thing he had in here? Oh, okay. I, I think Tescafe is surprisingly easy as well. You just... Oh, okay. You know, it's like npm install Tescafe, and then uh, you create a small file with click on this and uh, click on this, and npm start end-to-end uh, -end test, and your browser suddenly opens, and you see this test running. It's so easy to start with end-to-end tests nowadays. I think uh, in my company, I had this uh, thought before. In my company, we use uh, both Selenium and Tescafe. And that's because we have a team of automatic testing that uh, use Selenium. They actually record their testing, like they're not writing in code. They just record their testing 
just uh, you know a normal uh, auto testing uh, team and also we provide provide our developers with test cafe so they can test the application really really fast on their computer they can debug very fast and obviously it has less scenarios because it's uh, you know it was written by developers and it really really focused on you know sanity test and some other tests but uh, the fact that developers can easily use it is very very important because with selenium it's much harder people have to install uh, you know install certain things and uh, all these plugins and um, i don't know with Escafe, it's so easy very so cool. I want to jump jump back to uh, some of our original discussion. We were talking about uh, Jest specifically, and you were saying that you see you know most people mostly using Jest today, and I, I do feel like there is a very very common um, occurrence that goes on where we see a lot of churn in certain areas. A lot of people talking about things, and we start to get these ideas that hey, this has like become the dominant or the standard or whatever and i think it's somewhat an extension of what i might you might phrase the uh san francisco bubble right that we get there's a lot a lot of people in a very small community that talk about a lot of stuff and it gives an impression that well this is obviously the only thing that's happening right but for example today we probably have a lot more applications when they're deciding to put up a new version, they're transitioning off of jQuery and deciding what framework they're going to go to, then they're transitioning off of an old version of React or even Backbone, right? So, but yet we feel like, oh, everybody's been doing Angular and React for the last six years, but they, you know, they really haven't. But with that context, do you feel like Jest is actually going to become a dominant? I mean, again, I feel like a lot of people are talking about Jest, but that doesn't necessarily mean that most people are using just right it just happens to be what a lot of people are talking about today and maybe a lot of new little startups around the world are, are being put together with just but all the thousands and millions of developers that are at big companies that are just using whatever they were using last year and they're not going to make that change right like are we going to see just in two or three years become as widely used as say karma and uh mocha and jasmine are I wouldn't put my money on this. I think I, I think this this uh, community is maybe very closed and maybe it has this uh, really really strong trends, but they change a lot and they change because software grow, you know, one out of another one, and it's the same with Redux and Mobix, for example, and it's the same in many many areas nowadays where you. If you want to start a new application, you have to ask yourself so much questions. Actually, that's my work, you know. Actually, that's why people come to us, because it's really, really hard to know all these tools nowadays. Although there's certain trends. That's right. So uh, to keep digging into this, I think that there, you know, there obviously hype and shiny newness matter. Right. In the developer community, we, we love working on whatever's latest and we're people. Right. We love our new iPhones. But there is a matter of what makes a product really go hard is the features. Right. The new features are significantly more dominant than the existing feature set, which is one of the reasons why smartphones have become by themselves so dominant. And it was quite a while before other car 
phone manufacturers were really able to start catching up to Apple, that we started seeing that uh, it wasn't going to be, you know, 90% iPhones in the market. So the question being, is the, is the feature set of Jest and what it holds over uh, Jasmine, Mocha, Karma, is that significant enough that it's going to cause a lot of people to switch, even though they may not normally need or wouldn't normally just because they want to go to a newer tool, but there are features that are just going to be so important. It's going to drive them over there. Is that too long of a question? I, I'm thinking it's, it's a really good question, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really not sure. Obviously, you really appreciate the features of Jest. You wrote about it a ton in your article, right? And you picked Jest as the de facto thing that you should choose when you test. So obviously, well, it's you, one of the reasons. I think. I, I think uh, the thing about hypes is that uh, when you have a hype, you have a lot of questions in Stack Overflow, and a lot of bugs are getting open on GitHub, and uh, they also get fixed really fast. So. That's a big consideration for me because because for me I I think Jasmine is great as well right and Mocha is great as well, but I think this hype is I wouldn't say it's a good thing right but it's something that exists and it's something that uh, is beneficial so uh, mm-hmm. so yeah I think it's a big part of my decision. Okay, so let me ask a related question then: whether or not Jest becomes dominant, do you think the features that Jest has brought that haven't existed before that those are going to be a new baseline? For testing, we're going to see things like Jasmine and Mocha adapt to that and come out and try to get feature parity because these are going to be these are going to be the kinds of features that people are going to say, hey, I don't want to, if I'm choosing, if, if I actually have to go through the choice of choosing a test framework, I want these features, they actually matter enough. I think in this point, these tools are so developed that it could happen only as part of a strategic decision of one of the big players, of Google, for example. If they take Jasmine and decide that they want to compete versus Facebook on the testing, then they will definitely do it. There is, there is a lot of stuff they can add to Jasmine to make it great again. <laughs> <laughs> we could get some red uh, ball caps printed up. Make Jasmine great again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh my God, this could be a great merchandise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I know some of us have a hard stop here soon-ish. Is there anything else that we need to cover before we go into picks? Boy, you all got real quiet. All right, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash jabber. Amy, do you want to start us off with picks? I do. So my first pick, I wanted to give a shout out. Um, I was going to be a speaker there, but I have a little bit too much going on and I had to end up passing on my talk there. But um, it's for Cream City Code. So the organizers just are like super friendly and super nice. So I uh, wanted to give a shout out for that conference. So it is 
It looks like it's October 13th. So that's a Saturday in Milwaukee. And it just looks like a really awesome conference. I know Corey House, I believe he's the keynoter there. So one of our other panelists. And the other pick I had, this was on Hacker News yesterday. It was kind of interesting to me. So Michael Feathers is kind of like a prolific person in our industry. And um, he had a post about, um, it's called, Does Software Understand Complexity? And it's a short post, but it sounds like he went to a conference that was kind of unrelated to software development and saw a bunch of talks. And he kind of talks about how, you know, as we add more and more to our systems, how much more complex they get and how it's kind of hard to isolate what the problem is. And there are a lot of people at this conference that were talking about different like biological systems and stuff like that. And uh, it kind of behaves the same way where you have so many factors and in different like controlled experiments and stuff. It's hard to kind of isolate what exactly is causing the problem. So I don't know. It was interesting to me, the similarities between kind of science and software engineering. So I guess that's why they call it a science, but um, just science from like a medical standpoint. So that's it for me. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? So I got two for you today. One of them is a continuation of last week. I left a book off my list which is Crossing the Chasm, which is largely about how new technologies get from being niche market to general adoption. And it talks a lot about the economics of the pulls and sways of, of what moves something from one place to the other. And the other pick I have for today is... Golang. Golang is just amazing and I love it. I'm writing my first like more than 50 line program in Golang and I am learning a ton coming from Node where, you know, it's event oriented and moving to Golang where it's channel oriented, which is like the two distinct languages in the ecosystem are Node and Go, because JavaScript is the only event-oriented language, and Go is like the only channel-oriented language. And all the other languages are either object-oriented or functional, pretty much. And so Go is just another kind of a mind-bend in a way with how it allows you to think about blocking programming, traditional blocking programming, in, in just a very different way that I, I don't know how to adequately describe in, in just a few sentences. But it's 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 almost, you know, people in, come to JavaScript and they're like, whoa, this is so weird, async programming events, like, whoa, this is different. And, and Go is just kind of like that same experience. Like, even if you're familiar with other types of programming, Go is just, it's just, it's different, but it's beautiful and it's elegant and it's simple. And there's like one right way to do everything. And it's not a mess of chaos and insanity. So if JavaScript is driving you crazy and you're okay with having types, Go might be something that you'd really love. Very cool. Joe, do you have some picks for us? Me having picks? Sure. I might have a pick or two. Your nose! Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Okay. I think I should be picking board game i haven't picked a board game in a while so i've been playing a few board games lately and um I, bought, I played a board game a while ago i haven't played it in a while have it have bought it, it was sh- i played it at a convention 
loved it. So I bought it and it just sat shrink wrapped on my board gaming shelf for quite a while uh, amongst probably actually a fairly large set of other board games that have been shrink wrapped and not yet played. But I uh, finally played it on Sunday with my wife. It's called Rajas of the Ganges. And I'm probably butchering the pronunciation on those, but it's just a typical Euro board game. And it's super fun. It was fun for two people. We had I played it with four people. Had a lot of a couple of times. Had a lot of fun with that. Awesome board game. One of those like fifty dollar ish board games. Totally worth the time and money if you are looking for something cool, but a little bit you know on the on the heavier side. Not like a four hour game, but like a hour hour and a half game. It's a great great game. So I'll pick Rajas of the Ganges. I would be remiss, of course, to mention a couple of really awesome if I did not mention a couple of really awesome conferences. The Framework Summit is still coming in October, early October, beautiful Park City, Utah. Literally the only place you can go and find the Angular team, the React team, the Ember team, the Eld team, the Vue team, all together at the same place and hear talks by uh, them and other people. So a fantastic, very unique conference. Super excited about that. And today... I don't know when everybody's going to be listening to this, but today was the big announcement of a big of ReactConf, which I have been working on getting. Uh, I've been organizing um, and putting that together with Jameson Dance and Matt Zabriskie. We've been working on this for like almost six months, trying to find venues and everything and put contracts into place and get a place for Facebook to have the real true ReactConf because they, it wasn't going to happen this year. So that's going to happen in late October down in Henderson, Nevada, not Las Vegas, in the, but up in the mountains uh, above Vegas in a beautiful, beautiful venue. So it's a ticket lottery system because there'll be 8,000 people that want to go in and there's only like 600 tickets and Facebook's subsidizing the cost of the conference with a ton of money. So... Um, it will be very, it's a lottery system to get tickets. So definitely enter the lottery if you're interested in going and tickets are really cheap, like 400 bucks. So yeah, crazy cheap. The CFP will probably be closed by the time this gets published, but I don't know if the lottery will be, the lottery won't be too far after the CFP because it's a tight timeline. Here it is the end of of July, sorry. So we've got all of August, all of September and most of October, just less than three months before it actually happens. But I'm super excited about that. This personally for me was like a culmination of like six years of work because I've contacted Facebook five, six years ago and wanted to help them organize before ReactConf existed. I wanted to help them actually have a ReactConf and they wanted to do it internally themselves. And so getting to help out and help organize ReactConf for me is like just a huge, a huge deal that this came back around five, six years later that I get to help do ReactConf. So super excited about that and excited about making it into a fantastic or yet having yet another fantastic react conf this year cool those are my picks all right well so uh my picks this week are one i was in a podcast movement this week and a couple of things one is is that i started using express vpn for my browsing um when i'm not at home and it works really, really well. I've been very happy with it. And it's just a way of essentially cloaking your internet activity from whoever you're using, you know, whatever Wi-Fi you're on. Um, I mean, you have to be able to trust ExpressVPN, I guess, but um, everybody else, it just kind of hides it from. So I, I'm liking that. Um, I was also somewhat inspired to uh, start creating 
some video and uh, ebook stuff. And I know that this episode will likely come out after Labor Day, but I'm planning on doing the launch for the book and the video course by Labor Day. And this is for people who are trying to find a job. And it is by far the thing that I'm asked about the most is how do I get a job? And it's usually by people who are either brand new or who went through a boot camp that had somebody at the boot camp who could help them get a job. And so they don't know how to do the jobs, the job search successfully. And a lot of times they've been trying for a while and haven't been getting interviews or job offers. Um, and then also I've had a number of people who are remote somewhere. So they have a little more experience, but they live somewhere that doesn't have a strong tech community. And so there aren't a lot of jobs where they're at. And so they, they struggle a little bit to find those jobs. And I have a bit of experience doing both and coaching people through finding those kinds of jobs. So um, I'm putting the course and the book together. They'll be released on Labor Day, um, which is the first Monday in September for those that aren't in the United States. If this episode goes live after that, then what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put a coupon code up for a week. If you just put in the coupon code JSJabber for that week after this goes live, um, then you'll be able to get the pre-launch price, even though it's already launched. And uh, that's a 50% discount. So definitely keep an eye out for that if you're out there looking for a job. And uh, yeah, anyway, I'm pretty excited about it. And you'll have the option of buying the ebook or buying the video course, which includes the ebook. So anyway, those are my picks. Vitali, what are your picks? Yeah, so I just finished uh, reading a book by uh, Neil Ferguson. It's called The Square and the Tower, Networks and Power from Freemasons to Facebook. Now, actually changed it to... Yeah, from Freemasons to Facebook. So it's it's a really really cool book. It uh, it goes through the history of humankind, I'd say, and uh, explains uh, what was the most important networks at the time. It could be like telegraph networks or uh, just human networks, networks of intellectuals. Um, it's very very interesting for people who are interested in uh, history. So uh, that's my pick. After reading this book, I wrote a small article. So I shamelessly will pick my article. <laughs> and uh, it's about the open source community. I was just really inspired by this book to try to understand. Uh, I, I just had new ideas about the open source community after reading this book. So I'm picking this article too. Awesome. Now, if people want to find you online, where do they go? I mean, we found your medium, but are you on Twitter, or GitHub, or other places where people should be looking for your stuff? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, on GitHub, on LinkedIn, on Medium. Yeah, everywhere. Instagram, Snapchat. Not Snapchat. My, MySpace. <laughs> Not MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> you can add me on Facebook, yeah. Very cool. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you for coming and talking to us. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. All right. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.